We are in Matthew chapter 13. In this chapter, the Savior has a multitude of people around them. Sometimes when he preached to them, he preached very straightforward messages. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount was very straightforward. Uh, lay, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven, and no man can serve two masters. He was very, very pointed. Uh, they knew exactly what he meant. But in Matthew 13, his teaching has changed. Now he's teaching in parables. There'll be seven of them in this chapter. A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. We know uh, about fables, an earthly story that has a moral uh, you know, fabric to it, but a, a parable is different than that. It's about something that is spiritual and something God wants us to know. Of all the seven parables, the parable of the sower was not only the first one, it is the only one that Jesus voluntarily explained. Now, he would explain the parable of the tares that comes later in this chapter, but he did so because the disciples said, show us the parable of the tares. They asked him to do so. This is the only one that he volunteered to explain what this one was all about. Not only that, the parable of the sower is the only one of the seven that Jesus ended with the words of verse 9, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's the only one that he put that, uh, that, that little uh, uh, ending on there. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's something about this first parable, the parable of the sower. I believe it is foundational to all of the rest of them. If we're not going to deal with the first one, the rest of them really don't have much point for us as a believer. In this parable, every one of us, if we are attentive, especially listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves somewhere in this parable. Uh, as, a, as a preacher of the gospel, this year will mark 44 years in full-time Christian service. I spent 11 years as a youth pastor, and I've spent the last 33 years this coming May as a, a senior pastor of a local church. It has been my privilege over these decades to, to minister and teach and preach to literally thousands uh, of people, uh, not just here or in Pennsylvania or New York, but in a number of different places uh, all across the country. Like every preacher, sometimes I am amazed when I preach a message when, when God moves in someone's heart. Uh, I never see myself as the, uh, the, the, the greatest preacher in the world. I don't even see myself as a good one. And so I'm always amazed when someone walks the aisle that God uses something maybe that I said, and it works a blessing in somebody's life. But I'm equally amazed sometimes that I'll see people that are blessed in a particular service or by a particular message, and there'll be others who are offended by the same truth. They'll get angry about it. I've had people do sign language to me in the middle of services just a one-fingered salute in, in a Christian service because something that I said rubbed them the wrong way. I, I've, I've had times where all I did was read a simple verse. All I did was read the verse, and there was an almost violent reaction to that. And the, the same, I've had people, one man, one after service said, man, I like coming here. He said, every sermon is like a seven-course meal. And somebody else came up and said, I don't get anything out of the sermons here. And uh, 
I suppose I've probably been at both ends of that spectrum. And I've always wondered why is that so? Well, the parable of the sower explains it. I want you to understand in the parable that we just read that we're pretty familiar with, it's the same sower. The seeds falling in the wayside or the stony ground or among thorns or on the good ground, but it is the same sower that is casting out the seed. The second thing is, it's the same seed. They're all receiving the same word. They're all receiving the same message from God. The only difference is in the soil. So the problem cannot be that there's something wrong with the sower or there's something wrong with the seed. There has to be something off about the soil. Does that make sense? I believe that's why Jesus volunteered to explain this one. He wanted his disciples to get this because he had in that immediate group of 12, he had people in all spectrums, all the way from the seed by the wayside, all the way to that on the good ground. And all of us today, we are somewhere in here. We need to ask ourselves, where? Verse number 10, his disciples came and said unto him, why speakest unto them in parables? And he explained, well, it's because they don't want to know the truth. They've closed their eyes. They've covered their ears. Because if they hear the truth, they might have to change. They don't want that. So he says in verse 18, hear ye therefore... The parable of the sower. Notice his first word is here. It is here. How many parents have said something to your children, told them to do or not to do something, and you felt like you were talking to the wall? Yeah, I, I hear those conversations going on. You had one with Tommy just yesterday, you know, about that. And, and I'm talking and saying, man, I'm glad it's them and not me. Uh, you know, sometimes we hear things and we, we, we hear it, but it's in one ear and out the other. It's lost somewhere in the great beyond between the two ears. Jesus, has, he said, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's us. Then he says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When Jesus is directing our attention something to something like this with those words, ought we not sit up a little straighter? Ought we not make sure that we tune out whatever's out there, whatever's distracting, bothering, upsetting, or exciting us about what's coming later? We ought to just sit up and say, okay, he wants me to hear something. I want to make sure I do. I don't want to miss anything. He said in verse 19, when anyone heareth the word, of the kingdom, that's the seed. And understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown, next three words, church, in his heart. That's the soil. The soil is not just our ears and our mind, it's our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the book of wisdom, we are taught, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's not just how much Bible we may know or be able to quote. It's how much have we taken to heart. You understand there are going to be a lot of people in the lake of fire screaming in torment for eternity that knew the gospel very well. And they could probably repeat it back very well, but they never took it to heart for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, Romans chapter 10. Um, it is all about the heart. That is the soil. 
So the Lord is going to introduce his disciples and explain to them where this seed landed and why it didn't produce anything. Again, nothing wrong with the sower and nothing wrong with the seed. The problem was with the soil. The first one he talks about it, we read it in verse 19. Um, this is he which received by, uh, seed by the wayside. Uh, I wrote down, this is the calloused heart. The calloused heart. A callous is a, something you build up. I have some from uh, holding uh, barbells and stuff like that on right here on these knuckles, especially these three fingers on both hands. Uh, when I first started uh, bench pressing, deadlifting especially, uh, that was very, very sore there and, and very, very red. And, and after I'd be done with a session, I, 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 was, I was hurting and putting stuff on it. Now I can pretty much do it all day long and, and, and I feel no pain in there whatsoever because there's a callus there. Callus means we don't feel anything. In a, in a spiritual sense, a callus means we don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Callous means we, we, don't, we, don't, we aren't moved when God speaks to us. A callous reminds me of the word hardened. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible says twice about him. We know that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God was responding to the heart Pharaoh already had manifested. The first time he heard the word of the Lord from Moses, Pharaoh's response was, I don't know you. I know not the Lord. I will not let the people go. That was his immediate response. So God said, fine, fine. If that's the way you're going to be. I'm just going to keep hardening your heart. And then there were some times it looked like Pharaoh might be turning around a little bit and God, God uh, showed him a little bit of mercy and a little bit of kindness. And as soon as he grabbed a hold of that, then he would harden his own heart and just go off and do his own thing again. How'd that work out for him? He destroyed himself. Every Egyptian household that did not take heed to a warning, that didn't have the blood of the lamb over their door, experienced death. Every single household. The economy of Egypt was destroyed. The fields, the crops were destroyed. Many of their houses and possessions were destroyed. He lost his army and became defenseless against any enemies he might in the future face, all because he said, I don't, I don't care what God says. I want to do what I want to do. That is a calloused heart. And listen carefully, anytime we hear from the word of God, whether we're reading it on our own or we hear that word preached or taught to us and we say no to that, we're building up a callous. We're building up a callous and a calloused heart is a dangerous thing to possess. When I no longer am moved by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whether it's God convicting me of that which is wrong in my life or God is convicting me of that of, of which is lacking in my life, and I harden my heart against that, I'm in a bad place. When I sit under preaching and I watch other people being moved, and I've not been moved, I get worried about that. Because I don't ever want to get to the place of a hardened heart. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 preached a, a phenomenal message to the Sanhedrin. It was as scriptural a sermon as you'll read anywhere in the Bible or that you'll ever hear in any pulpit across this world. It was a phenomenal sermon. And when it was all done, they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were biting him like wild animals. Stephen said to them, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? That's the calloused heart. 
Jesus also taught us that that calloused heart becomes prey to the wicked one. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. As Jesus is teaching and explaining the parable of the sower, he had one unsaved man sitting in the midst. He looked like all the rest of them. In fact, he looked maybe better than the rest of them because they trusted him with the money. He was the treasurer. The Bible said he had the purse or he had the bag. That was Judas Iscariot. But the Bible said he was lost. He was a son of perdition. Satan filled his heart. Satan entered into him. Judas knew all the words. Jesus, Judas was out there at the feeding of the 5,000. And you understand God was using him, letting him be used, and he was still a lost man. He heard the bread of life sermon in John chapter 6. He heard the light of the world sermon in John chapter 8. He heard the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. He heard the good shepherd sermon in John chapter 10. And he died and went to hell because he kept hardening his heart. And you understand, Judas was not listening to the Spirit of God. He was listening to the voice of Satan. You and I need to be very, very careful because Satan is always standing right next door to whisper some lie in our ears and say, well, you don't need that. I know the Bible says, but. I, I know everybody's doing that, but. You, you better be careful about which voice you're listening to because Satan has never paid in, in good dividends for those who follow him. Judas Iscariot went out and hanged himself in despair and ended up today in a place called hell. Do you understand that? Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, I've got the power of Egypt at my disposal. I am a God in my own mind. I don't have to listen to the God of Israel. And he ended up at the bottom of the Red Sea with his soldiers. Never ends well. We, of course, the devil always tells us, oh, but not you, you'll be different. This calloused heart thing is something we've got to be careful of. I've been in the ministry 44 years. I've been saved for uh, 52 years, but I have to keep my heart with all diligence because sometimes I can get out of sorts with God. I, I don't know that I've said this, but last Monday I had a struggle day. The hardest day that I've had in several years. I was missing my wife. I walked past a full-length mirror out in my hallway on the second floor, and I saw myself as I was getting ready to go off for training. And I hated being an amputee. I hated looking like this. I hated dealing with what I have to deal with, and I hated the fact that I deal with it alone. And I fell into a place I haven't been in a long time. By the way, that's not a healthy place to be. Um, by the way, I'm not asking for pity today. This was perhaps a mindset of my own making. Say, what did you do? I had to go back here and understand I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that knoweth my soul right well. I had to go back and realize and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them were the called according to his purpose. I had to go back and understand, but my God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And on and on and on. And I, and I found that uh, uh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. And on my worst day, I'm the recipient of more grace than I'll ever deserve on my best day. 
Um, I had to be careful because you see, sometimes we start lamenting uh, what God may have allowed in our lives. What uh, we, we start lamenting, why don't I have this? Why can't I, I do that or whatever? And if we're not careful, we're building up a callus on the heart so that when God speaks, we're mad at him already. And all that God wants to do doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Gone. Snatched away. And I need all that God can do. I know God's been good to me and God's been merciful to me and I'm so thankful for that. God's been gracious to me. But the Bible still says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And I know that's in heaven someday and I'm looking forward to all that heaven has to offer and I can't even comprehend it and I try all the time. But that verse isn't talking just about heaven. It's really talking about the here and now, what God wants to do. And so God's left me alive and I'm still here and I'm still kicking and if I kick you with this leg it's gonna hurt because it's titanium so don't mess with me um, but God's got a plan for me and by the way within the next uh, few hours God started opening up doors I spent Thursday afternoon on a floor at, at Hartford Hospital and I had two specific visits one with a man who's already lost his leg another who's gonna lose it next week and I found myself the entire wing of this floor of the hospital was amputees the entire every room had an amputee and of course I couldn't go door to door uh, you know on the hospital but I had more encounters uh, uh, that day than I anticipated and got one person I actually got to talk to twice she called me back I climbed in the elevator and there was a lady already on there on the fifth floor uh, we were going down and she had a Panera coffee cup on her hand I said I think I need one of those now. And she said, I, I, I just don't know what I'd do without it. And I realized this woman was just bone tired. I said, you look really, really tired. She said, I'm exhausted. And she said, and I don't know when I'll ever not be. She said, my youngest brother is upstairs and she named the floor and I forget which number. She said, he has glioblastoma. Of all people for me to meet on an elevator that could understand. I'm glad I dealt with the calloused heart while it was just a bad day because I'd have missed out on Thursday because when they called and said, can you make a visit? I, I can guarantee you the hard heart would have said, I'm busy. Be careful about that. That's where the Savior started. That's where the Savior started, the calloused heart, but he moved on and some of you are ready for me to move on. By the way, you say, Pastor, how do I know if I have a calloused heart? You probably don't care. He can preach anything he wants. I don't care. Doesn't bother me. Ooh. When the word of God stops bothering you, stops blessing you, stops changing you, you're not in a good place. I'm not in a good place. He went on and talked about the seed that fell, verse 20, into the stony places. The same is he that heareth the word, and anon, that means right away, immediately with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not rooted himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. There was the calloused heart. This is the casual heart. The casual heart. That here's the message of the gospel. Well, that sounds like a great thing. 
Oh, that sounds like a wonderful thing. And they just kind of come in and, and the newness of it all has caught them up and, 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 and they're loving all of it. And, and man, what a great place and what a great thing. And all of this is. And then all of a sudden they start realizing the Savior has some claims on our lives. We all want to go to heaven someday. Um, and we're all glad that Jesus died on the cross for us. But uh, we want it to end there. We want the message to end there, but it doesn't. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Uh, what I found early on in the Christian life uh, is uh, there were some things in my life that as a child of God now weren't supposed to be there anymore. I got saved as a teenager and I, I had the typical dirty mouth of teenagers my age and of my acquaintance. And uh, I learned early on that that had to go. I had to change the way I talked. Um, I got convicted when I talked bad. Um, and it didn't mean I, I never did it again, but boy, when I did, I got convicted bad and I realized that's going to have to go. Uh, I, I realized that I was listening to music that was anti-God, that was anti-Christ, that was anti-Bible. Uh, and this was in the seventies. That's the stuff they playing in elevators now, but it was bad stuff. The wording, all of that. And I, I realized, uh, yeah, my, that's, that's going to have to go. I, I realized I had some friendships that I was going to have to change, uh, because, uh, uh that was going to have to go. And you know, sometimes when we find out that there might be a cost involved, that's when we just start backing off and the zeal dies down just a little bit. We want the salvation. We want eternal life and preach to us about heaven and, and, and preach to us about the goodness of God. And that's a wonderful thing to preach about. And I hope that I give you a balanced diet of bringing your attention to those wonderful truths of the Bible. But, but there are some thou shalts and shalt not in the Bible. There are some things that are supposed to change and the casual Christian comes along until all of a sudden it's going to cost something. John chapter 6, we read the remarkable miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. This multitude was with Jesus all day long. And it, it, as the day was drawing to a close, he tells his disciples, look, we need to take care of them. Uh, we don't want to send them away hungry lest they don't make it. And they said, we don't have enough. We found a boy. He's got five loaves and two fishes, not loaves of wonder bread, probably five slices of bread, two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. And so all these people are sitting down. I don't know what anybody was expecting was going to happen. I don't know what Peter, James, John, the rest of them were expecting. Uh, Jesus takes the little boy's lunch. By the way, aren't you glad a little boy didn't hang on to his lunch, but let Jesus have it? You'd be surprised what God could do with what you're gripping with all of your strength if you just let him have it. You might be amazed at the miracles God could work. Little boy gave his lunch. Jesus prayed. Asked the father to bless it, started passing it out to the disciples. By the way, the very fact that there was enough food for those 12, to me, is kind of amazing out of five slices of bread and two small fishes. The Bible uses the word small to emphasize all of that. If I was standing there as one of those 12 and he just kept going down the line and I'm finding myself with a handful of bread and fish right then and there, I, th I hope I would have found myself on shouting ground. Uh, right then and there, I think my heart should have started soaring, saying, if he's done this, what in the world is coming next? I, I have no idea. Uh, well, actually, I have a little idea. The Bible says it didn't mean a thing. So how do you know that? The Gospel of Mark says, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. Ooh. Ooh. But they went out anyhow, because they were told to. 
It's pretty sad when you only do right because you're told to. But they went out and passed it around, and I wish I could have been there to see did that fish grow a new head, a new tail, what in the world was going on. Um, and they fed 5,000 men, the Bible says, till they were full. It's not like they all licked the fish and passed it on. Okay? They ate till they were full. And then they went through the crowd. They, by the way, they fed the women and the children too. I've seen some kids eat. I've seen these guys in the front row eat. Not him, but these other guys, they can pack it away. The Bible says they ate to the full and then gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments. Somebody said one for each disciple. I don't think so. I think that was for the kid who gave his lunch. Can't prove it. That's bishology right there. Bible does not say. Um, and, and the people are amazed. They were so amazed at what Jesus did. The crowd showed up the next day. They showed up the next day. Because they were so excited about the, what they saw and, and all of that. And uh, then they heard Jesus looking at them and he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man giveth you. And they said, say what? He said, you came out because you did eat of the bread. He said, I'm talking to you about something bigger than I'm the bread of life. You need to put me inside of you. You need to put my life inside of your life. And all of a sudden, it was no more um, free bread and fish. All of a sudden, it was, there's a new life in Christ, and you need to believe in me. In John 6, verse 66, just the reference is ominous to me. You know, 666. The Bible said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The crowd walked away. When all was said and done, he was left with the twelve. And he looked at them and said, will you go away also? You're going to leave too? Casual, casual heart. I, I, I want Christ and I, I want uh, the promises of God, but not, not if it involves surrender. Not if it involves sacrifice. Not if it involves service. And entertain me, I'm good with that. Not if it involves sanctification. The casual heart. By the way, the casual heart brought forth no more fruit than the calloused one did. Think about that. No difference. No difference. Let me hasten on. There was a third place the seed went, verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he become unfruitful. We saw the calloused heart. We saw the, the um, casual heart. This is the carnal heart. Where carnal means fleshly. This is a heart that just stays glued to this world. This is a heart that finds a problem with living with eternity in view. See, Jesus, or the Bible teaches Colossians chapter 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are... Above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Um, God commands us, I'm, I'm supposed to be living for eternity. Is this glorifying God? Is this making God look good? Or is this just what I want to do? Um, is, is, uh, is what I'm doing pleasing in his sight? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Or is it just, I want to do what I want to do? I want to do what's fun to me. I want to do what brings pleasure to me. This person hears the word of God and it doesn't say they reject it. 
but it gets all choked out because of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Worldly people. Turn your Bibles quickly to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And we all struggle here because this world has a big pull on us, doesn't it? Boy, the pressure coming from all avenues in this world to not live for Christ or at least don't be a fanatic. How many have heard that one? Don't be a fanatic. Now, you can go to a Kansas City game when it's, it's uh, six below zero, wind chill minus 26, and fill a stadium and watch a bunch of grown men in tights throw a cold football around the field. That's not a fanatic, that's a fan. You can go to Buffalo and have to trudge through waist-deep snow inside the stadium to get to your seats to watch Pittsburgh lose, which is a travesty, the end of all ends. You can do that, and you're not a fanatic, you're a fan, but boy, you come to church three times a week, and you're a fanatic. You change the way you talk, dress, live, treat people. You're a fanatic. You, ca- you pass out gospel tracts. You're a fanatic. Uh, you, you give to faith promise missions, and, and you serve the Lord, and you go soul winning, and you work on a bus route. And all. Well, you're some kind of fanatic. No, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done more for me than any football team's ever going to do for you. By the way, Uh, The Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers did nothing for the people that came to watch them play the game. All they did was get a paycheck and frostbite. Jesus is a much better master. Verse 15, 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. For either he will love the one and hate the other, he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is, mammon is wealth. Mammon is the things of this world. It says, again, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's one or the other. Either I'm in love with the Lord, lock, stock, and barrel, or I'm not. John doesn't mess around. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, the lust thereof. Think about the world of fashion. How many of us remember how we dressed as teenagers in the 60s and 70s? (laughs) Only Donna would think it's awesome. How many are thankful that those fashions passed away? Oh, my goodness. There are some things never to be repeated again. Um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. The world passeth away. Everything the world is laying their hopes and stuff on, it, it's not going to last. But he that doeth the will, of the, fo- uh, the will of God abideth forever. The carnal Christian doesn't see that, though. The carnal Christian is, well, I, I, I want to be saved and I want to be Christian, but only enough that I don't have to really give up what's out there. I, I don't want to be a witness for Christ. My friends might make fun of me. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to wear a T-shirt that might have a Bible verse on there. Isn't it amazing all these yahoos can kneel when they're, they're playing the Pledge of Allegiance and they're, they're applauded as heroes? But let a believer kneel in prayer before he steps out on the field and that guy, there's something wrong with him and he must be deranged, something like that. This world is anti-God and anti-Bible and anti-Christ. Why are we trying to please it? 
And why are we trying to look like it and sound like it and live like it? This carnal Christian receives the word, but it gets choked out. It never goes anywhere because they just can't get away from the world. And then there's the final one, the consecrated heart. He that received seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, knows it's true, knows it's right, knows how to apply it. And the, in, the inference is, and does so. It's not people that hear the gospel that are going to go to heaven. It's people that respond to the gospel and receive Christ as their savior that are going to be saved. Um, and that's what he does in the Bible says, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. The consecrated heart. The consecrated heart. I got saved at 14. It was all brand new to me. I didn't grow up in a church like this. Um, and the church I got saved in, we I'd only been there for Bible school. So the first Sunday we walked in, um, it was foreign to me. I, I was never in a church where the pastor even carried a Bible to the pulpit, let, let alone turn to it and ask us to do the same. I was never at a church with preaching where the pastor would sometimes cry as he preached, especially if it was on, on some hard subject. Um, I, I never went to a church where Sunday school was more than coloring pictures or, or sitting around goofing off. It was open your Bible and turn there. And, and But there was something in me. I didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about it. But there was something in me said, whatever this is, this is what I want. You say, what was that? That was God. I was born again of the Holy Spirit. I was a new creature. I had a lot of things that had to change. I had a lot of things that needed to be added. But I was a new guy on the inside. And as time went on, as I said, I found out I didn't like the old, the old stories I used to tell and the old jokes. They weren't so funny anymore. And those words that I used to say brought conviction rather than laughter and, and a sense of, boy, I'm a big shot because I can cuss and swear like a sailor. I, I found out that I wanted to read my Bible uh, and I never did before. I wanted to go to church every time the doors were open. Nobody made me do those things. Nobody forced me to do those things. I wasn't in, in, in a legalistic church. I had the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me and it just gave me a desire to be there. I wasn't the greatest Christian in my youth group. I'm not the greatest Christian in this church and I will, I will be the first to attest to that. But by the grace of God, my desire is to always have a consecrated heart that's open. God, whatever you want, teach me something. If you've been here the last couple Sundays and you're reading the Bible through this year, you'll find out my sermons Sunday morning, Sunday night, and now again this morning are from the Bible reading of the last week. It's not that I don't plan ahead. It's not that I'm not well prepared in advance. It's just the fact this is what God talked to me about. And this is where I spent time. I spent more time in Matthew chapter 13 in this one parable uh, than I spent on just about any other thing that I did this week, uh, reading it and studying it. I'm preaching from my journal where I took notes and I colored things in and, and all that kind of stuff. And I've been thinking about it and I've been praying, God, don't let me ever get a calloused heart. Oh, don't let it, let me ever get like that. Don't let me stay where I was on Monday, mad at you because I didn't like where I was. God, you've been too good for me to be like that. God, never let me get to the place where I read this book, see what it says and say, doesn't matter, I'm gonna do what I want. Don't let me be that kind of God. God, don't let me be the kind of heart that is, is torn between the world and the Lord. Lord, I just wanna be yours. 
I don't want to just be your preacher. I want to be your man. I want to be your child. Lock, stock, and barrel. This has been going on over and over and over in my heart. And please understand, I'm not, I'm not standing up here pretending to be a better Christian than anybody here. I just know I don't want a calloused heart. And I know I don't want a casual heart. And I know I don't want a carnal heart because they bear no fruit for God. Only the consecrated heart does. Someday I'm going to stand before my Lord. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. He stands and welcomes me into heaven and I see the nail prints in the hand that got me there. I know I wish I'd given him more. But I want to I want to hear him say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. A consecrated heart gets to hear that someday. The the, the calloused heart won't hear those words. Just won't hear it. Neither will the casual heart Neither will the carnal heart. That doesn't mean they're not saved. There's just no fruit. Just no fruit. You say, can can born-again people become calloused? Demas was a faithful companion of the Apostle Paul. He's mentioned in the book of Colossians. He's mentioned in the book of Philemon. Paul had dozens of people that served with him. And God says wonderful things about him. But there came a point in his life. Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. And the grief with which Paul wrote that somewhere his heart got hard. Somewhere he thought, now the world's going to have more fun than I am. This world is headed straight forward into destruction. Just, I don't listen to a lot of news because it's almost depressing, but I listen to enough to know what's going on. This world's a mess. And we're treating them like they've got it all together. They've got nothing together. God's got it all. God's got it all. So this morning, you and I need to find out where am I at? Jesus took the time to, to only explain this one parable of his own volition. He explained a second because they asked him. The only one he said, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And he started his explanation here. So what did we hear today? You're in there somewhere. You either have a calloused heart. You either have a casual heart. You either have a carnal heart. You have the consecrated heart. Wherever you're at, you have a choice to make. The calloused heart will probably just write this all off. <clears throat> say what you want to say. My mind's made up going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care. But it might just be there's somebody, the calluses are just starting. And it might just be that person will say, Lord, you got to get me out of here and you, you need to take a step. You might be anywhere in between. By the way, you, you might be here at the consecrated heart. And I, I, I like to believe I pastor a lot of people that are here. Say, so we don't have a choice to make. Oh, yeah, we do. Every day we got to decide, is this where I'm going to stay? Paul said, I die daily. Every day he said, I'm renewed by the Spirit. 
every single day, every single day, I have to decide on purpose, Lord, today, this man's going to be a consecrated Christian. Here's the thing about it. This is the only guy I can make that decision for. I can't make you get saved. I can't make you get right with God. I can't make you love God. I can't make you serve God. I learned that a long time ago. But this guy, this guy, I have utter and absolute control over. So I'm, I'm told, keep thy heart, Tom Bish, with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. How many could say, Pastor, I am saved and I know it. I'll give you a Bible reason for it. I know for sure I'm going to go to heaven when I die. If that's you, can you slip up your hand? If that is true, it is because when you heard the gospel message, you didn't harden your heart, you received it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for our time in the Bible this morning.